Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on that. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders, and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 8.55am, 3CR. Good morning and welcome to Refugee Radio on 3CR, 8.55am. My name is Brendan Bonsack and with me today is Celine Yap. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> 3CR broadcasts from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and no treaty exists. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. On today's program, we'll be playing an interview recorded earlier this week with passionate storyteller, poet and refugee advocate, Awali, a friend to everyone, I think. <laughs> but first, a little on last night's Australian federal election <laughs> result. <laughs> How did you feel? Oh, well, I think everyone's woken up quite surprised and upset, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as we go to air today, the government sits on uh, 74 votes in the lower house. And the ALP's on 66, which is obviously a lot further behind than they thought they would be at this point. Uh, there's one Green and some seats in doubt. Uh, five independents. One of them will be Catter. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> um, but Bill Jordan has conceded defeat and stepped down from the leadership. So, oh, he stepped down as He well. stepped down, oh, yeah. He actually, I didn't know that. He actually resigned from <clears throat> the leadership, so there's... There'll be a leadership open in the Labour Party as well. Okay, I must have turned off before that yeah. happened last <laughs> night. I just couldn't watch it anymore. Yeah, it was an election tragic. I stayed up all oh, night. Just yeah. drinking. But I did No, I didn't drink. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> uh, but it was a tough night. Yeah, it was a tough night. Um, and uh, the phrase that caught my ear, uh, we're from the, uh, the PM in his victory speech, was that... Um, this is for the quiet Australians, which is uh, politicians. To me, they always speak in code, uh, planting little seeds. And um, I would take that to mean that this is the kind of Australian that they want, um, a silent one, uh, one that doesn't speak out against injustice, one that doesn't dissent, one that just quietly goes about its business, um, keeps to their own worlds, very inward-looking. They do say that about legitimacy. It is held in place by the silence and inaction yeah. of its people, and I feel like that's what happened yesterday. Yeah, and I think this was a direct pitch to that type of uh, constituent, 
So this is the people that we're governing for, people who uh, don't dissent and are perhaps a little bit scared, mm. perhaps a lot scared. Um, and I think this is why voices like 3CR are so important um, because speaking against injustice is our bread and butter. So in many ways, this election result is a timely reminder to double our efforts. Um, and keep su- going. Keep going. Uh, be in for the long haul and support community radio. There's a radiothon coming up. Listen, participate, get active, donate, tell your friends. Know what's happening, I think, is a really important thing too. And listen to alternative narratives Mm. because uh, community radio gives you the voice of what's not being told in in the mainstream media. media. Mm. I'm sure there'll be more analysis about the election (laughs) (laughs) at other times. Uh, But let me... Introduce Awali. Awali is a multilingual storyteller and a poet who was born in Somalia, grew up in the Middle East, and now lives in Melbourne. He's an advocate and activist for social justice and refugee rights. And I recently spoke with Awali and asked him to share some of his poetry with us. Uh, the first poem I would like to start with is uh, uh, saluting the artist. Uh, Art is, is a form of uh, uh, keeping our imagination and our curiosity as children. When once we were ch- children, we are full of dreams, big dreams and uh, imagination and curiosity. And once people grow up, they try to forget that and uh, society tries to make us more practical and uh, uh, forget all that uh, nonsense, as they call it. Uh, so I hold the most out respect uh, for people who are poets, who are dancers, who are uh, painters, uh, uh, any form of uh, art, really. So this is uh, just an appreciation for them. Uh, I'm sending my love to the creative, to the poets who speak magic, to the painters whose art silently speak, to the dancers who swiftly move, to the musicians, magicians, and artists on the streets, to the spectators who enjoy the show. You make life more beautiful, fun, interesting and colorful. You channel the inner child in all of us, that child that knew nothing but love and dreams. Your heart still pure, uncorrupted by society. Maybe you did not grow up or wake up to the harsh reality. I applaud you for fighting for all of us, for trying to save the child in all of us. You are my heroes, my champions, for a champion is always fighting for the underdog, for he or she sees beauty even in the midst of humanity's downfall. You are the hope keepers, knowledge seekers, future leaders. Thank you for guarding the flame, for passing the light, for keeping the hope alive. Thank you. Thank you. When did you start writing poetry? Uh, my, I used to read a lot of poetry uh, back when I used to live in uh, Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. So it was all Arabic. My first poem was uh, right about uh, uh, what happened uh, in Iraq, in the United States when they invaded Iraq in 2003. Actually, that prompted me to go in the city and just have a walk. And uh, from there, I wrote something just to uh, uh, like say to Baghdad, we are sorry that we let you down. and. Uh, we let all this injustice happen to the people of Iraq. So that was my first poem. That's, that's how I started writing. So, and since then, I kept writing in Arabic um, until I moved here. And then I started also doing the English 
uh, I, I converted like to English part. The first time I've written a poem in English was uh, September 2017. It was a breakup poem. <laughs> you remember the, the date yeah, exactly? Yeah, I remember the date. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually 14th of September. Can you remember <laughs> the time? Uh, it was around uh, <laughs> 2 p.m. Uh, the State Library. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember the time. And, uh, it was a breakup poem with someone. It was a love poem. And so love prompted me to write... Uh, start writing in English. So since then I kept writing. Um, I consider myself uh, more as a storyteller more than a poet. And I use poetry uh, just to aid my storytelling actually. <laughs> this is how I started because uh, we are as Somalis, we are, we are naturally a storyteller uh, nation. Uh, we grow up uh, since I was young, I used to listen to my grandma's uh, stories and uh, at night time and my mom's stories. So. All of us are natural storytellers in general, and uh, uh, it's just like uh, transforming this uh, skill set to another language, to another community. Uh, that's how I used it, and I use poetry as part of my storytelling. So that's how I put it. Yeah. Just going back to when you were a child in Somalia, mm. can you paint a picture of what it was like? Mm. As a child, I remember uh, uh, it was beautiful. It was like magical, and uh, we used to, I used to be like uh, play with my brother and my neighbors, and we used to fight over silly stuff. Uh, I used to fight with the kids in the block, <laughs> uh, in the school. Um, Were you in a city or a we, I was in the city, yeah, in the capital city of the north called, uh, named Hargeisa. Uh, I used to remember my dad wasn't living with us at the moment and at the time, and uh, he lived in Saudi Arabia, so... Sometimes he used to come at the summertime to visit us, and uh, at times I didn't even remember him. So I said, uh, I'm the man of the house, what are you doing here? <laughs> Until I get smacked, so and then I have to run away and uh, cry on my own. I, I didn't like uh, to cry in front of my dad or my mom. So, and at Fridays, we used to go to my grandfather to eat dinner, and it was really lovely until the war started. So, uh, and then we became refugees and we had to leave the city. And uh, in a war type of thing, um, as a child, you see things differently not, uh, and you experience it different than, than adults. The adult mind is different. They know what's happening, that uh, this is death, this is all that. I was a child, I didn't know what death uh, meant at that time. And once we were leaving the city, for example, I've seen a lot of people dead on the ground. Uh, I didn't know they were dead. I thought they were sleeping. So I asked my mom, uh, why are all those people sleeping on the ground? Uh, why they don't go to their homes and sleep there? I didn't, she, and she didn't know what to answer. So this is, the mentality of a child is different on a perspective. Uh, so that, how uh, old were you then? I was uh, four and a half, going to five, yeah, at that time. So do you remember um, sounds and smells? Yes, uh, I remember taste. I used to even... Sometimes used to. I was a naughty kid. I used to eat even sand so when I was young, <laughs> and uh, I remember even running away from uh, the sheep in Somalia. They are very unique. They have like a black head. So the first time I saw them in a big herd of uh, sheep, I thought they were dogs, uh, and they came in at me. So I was running away, and I told my mom, "The dogs are coming to get me." And she said, "No, these are the only sheep." <laughs> <laughs> so I still remember some moments vividly. Um, yeah, some of them were tragic, some of them were funny, some of them were nice. Yeah. You you needed to leave Somalia? 
What what happened there? Mm. There was a rebellion against the government at that time. Uh, the government of Somalia. Uh, let's go back. There is a history lesson there. There was a, a border issue between Somalia and Ethiopia uh, because of the British. Uh, they colonized uh, like big parts of Somalia. So when they left, uh, they gave uh, like a big chunk of land to Ethiopia, and they divided. So their rules were like uh, their strategy was divide and conquer, um, and so they left a lot of. Uh, a lot of problems in uh, Africa uh, between countries. They divided nations and countries and they left seeds of war. So that thing, uh, Somalis, once they had like, uh, once they get their independence, uh, there are two parts of Somalia. There's five parts actually. There's the northern part was colonized by the British. The southern part was colonized by Italy and uh, Djibouti, which is uh, used to be the f- called the French Somalia, colonized by the French. And uh, there is this part was given to Ethiopia by uh, um, the British, and another part was given to Kenya by the British as well. So they keep div- they divided the Somalis into five c- different countries. So the, t- the two first countries uh, they they united in 1960 into one country, which is Somalia. They f- formed the uh, Republic of Somalia, and since then they had a big dream of uh, like uniting the all the five parts under one country. So in 1977, Somalia had a good army. Ethiopia also had a good army. So there was a fight between the two countries. Somalia was successful in uh, retaining its land, but it was told off uh, <coughs> by the Soviet Union and uh, Fidel Castro and uh, all that. Uh, they they came and fought against Somalia and they said, okay, you have to go back to, uh, to the international um, borders. So Somalia was defeated. And since then... Uh, The, the people, they lost hope and they lost their dream, the, the collective dream that was holding the nation together. So they, they started like rebellions against the government and every part wanted to be separate or they needed to, they wanted to change the government. So the government was a military government, came through a military coup and most of the rebellions were in the north. So in the early, late 80s, uh, the, rebellious, uh, uh, the rebellions went to the cities and They said, okay, we're going to fight the government. So the government uh, uh, retaliated with the full force and um, they didn't discriminate between civilians or uh, re- rebels. So they killed everyone and they put minefield everywhere. And uh, even the airplanes, the military airplanes were f- like flying from the same city and hitting the same city with bombs. So you are being targeted by your own government. So then we had to leave uh, the city. It was a chaos. Uh, my all, Our only hope was to go through the border to Ethiopia. And f- luckily, we, d- we managed to get through the border. Then we had to go through Djibouti and wait for visa to go to Saudi Arabia, where my father lived. And my un- my aunties, my uncles, they all scattered around the world. Like now, they're living in in Sweden, in Holland, uh, in UK, in Australia at the moment. So I just joined my auntie here in Australia <laughs> three years ago. Said if I want to go to another country, I'll just go to somewhere where I have uh, family. So, mm. yeah. Can you remember? moments in your journey as a refugee? Uh, one of the other moments was uh, uh, after a few days of walking barefoot, I was really tired and uh, uh, my grandma was ni- walking next to me with my sister, uh, strapped to her back, uh, like the African style, how they strap the babies. <laughs> I was uh, four years of age and I was really tired, like after walking uh, ta- like uh, 100 kilometers or more. So. I said to my grandma, can you carry me for a while? I'm really tired. <laughs> and uh, she didn't like, uh, 
she knew what was at stake and we were like targeted by the government and at any time the forces could show and they could kill us so so she didn't say like what are you saying she 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 replied in a clever way and she said okay i will okay my my boy is complaining wait a minute let me put your sister under this tree and i'll take you instead and we'll keep moving then she she he showed me responsibility like in a different way so i said no my sister is too young you can't leave her here and uh, the hyenas might eat her uh, and i'll just keep walking it's fine i i, I can't keep walking <laughs> so this is one of the moments that i still remember yeah when you came to australia yeah. you came from saudi arabia yes, yeah. that's right how different was it i i uh, actually when i came here i moved in with my auntie for a while i was lucky to have a family here so this, they showed me around so i said where is the local mosque and Yeah, so it was a really big mosque, and it was really good to see a community um, from my own in one place and uh, praying. And one of the things that you do mm-hmm. is you visit detention centers, yes. where you visit people who don't have yes. family. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Um, actually, when I first came here, I didn't know anything about detention centers or uh, uh, how the refugees are treated here or asylum seekers. It was a surprise to me, and uh, I only. Uh, knew about it through uh, Donald Trump. Whenever anybody asked me, I said, okay, I'm in detention because of Donald Trump. So people ask me, what is the connection here? How Donald Trump helped you to get into detention? So uh, two years ago, I remember like uh, the Muslim ban, a travel ban in the US. And um, I used to be a little bit active and go to protests. And I've seen a protest against Donald Trump and the state library uh, to protest against that decision. And uh, he banned a few countries. One of them is mine, Somalia. So I had to go there. So I went there. I saw uh, Adam Bennett. He's a Green uh, senator. And he said, okay, we have a follow-up session on Sunday in North Melbourne uh, to see the ramification of uh, this uh, decision on Australian residents who are from those countries. I went there. I met a woman there. And uh, she does music, uh, teach music in uh, detention center. So I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. I want to go to the detention center, I speak Arabic, I speak Somali. They certainly people are from those countries or from uh, Arabic-speaking countries or Somali-speaking countries. So I would love to speak with them. So what do I do? And she passed my email to uh, the regular visitors who go there. And then they arranged my first visit to a, a guy from Iraq. I've met him, spoke with him in Arabic. And uh, since then, uh, I've seen people from so many countries and... Uh, I've been there for uh, so many years and I've seen a different side uh, uh, that I was blind to. So I said, okay, I, I have to keep coming like every week. And uh, since two years, more than two years now, it's uh, one of my weekly rituals. And uh, every week I go there, I even organized visits. And the people, I, whenever I meet new people, I think they are really genuine. I tell them what's going on and... Uh, if they would like to have a visit and see for themselves uh, what's going on and deal with the refugees and asylum seekers on a personal level uh, to see them as humans, not just as numbers or a, a storyline in um, in a radio or in a newspaper. Yeah. What are some of the stories mm. of people there that stick out to you? Uh, there are the kids. The, if, But like uh, there are a few kids actually who are in uh, detention center. Uh, there is this couple, and uh, the guy is uh, he's legal. 
he has a working visa. Uh, he met uh, his wife. Uh, she was in uh, community detention. So community detention sometimes it could be in community detention, which is out of detention centers, but you still have a lot of restrictions on you. So they get married, and she fell pregnant. And uh, once she was pregnant, they took her back to detention, and uh, they decided to deport her while she was eight months uh, pregnant. And uh, they even took her to the airport, and uh, the pilot refused to to fly the woman uh, back to her country. So then she was brought back to detention and she gave birth in detention last year to a beautiful little baby, baby girl. And uh, the baby, technically, uh, the detention say they are housing the baby. So the baby with the mom, they made a sign paperwork to keep the baby in detention with the mom. Every day, this guy, he visits his family and uh, he has to go through online process, drug testing, metal detector, all that. Some days even... The drug testing, he fails drug testing because anybody could fail. It's just uh, testing it uh, if you have any traces of drugs on your clothing. And uh, then they reject you on that uh, ground. So this guy, sometimes he's rejected, sometimes he's accepted. He goes every day after work to see his family, his wife and his kid. The kid is very lovely and uh, everybody in detention loves her. And uh, even I saw her this Thursday and... Well, she, I saw her try and walk out, walk out uh, when uh, they finished, when the time, uh, visit time finished. She tried to, she started walking actually after one year, after her birthday. So now she walked away, she walked with the visitors outside. They let her a little bit walk and then they brought her in again. And uh, tried, I waved goodbye at her and she waved back at me. Uh, so this is, and there is another detainee uh, and he's an artist he's a very lovely man and uh, we take his artwork and he learned how to paint actually in detention he never went to school before he never how knew how to like uh, paint or do anything how long has he been in for about five years now in detention and he's a, one of the most beautiful people you'd ever meet so we take out his uh, art pieces in uh, exhibitions around the country and he can't even attend his uh, exhibitions. And uh, so he's contributing to the society while in detention as an artist. And um, yeah, it's very sad to see uh, those kind of lovely people who are still inside and um, not given a chance to contribute to the community and uh, to see what they can bring to, uh, to society. Yeah. The two hours I see them weekly are just to have normal chat as friends and just to take their mind off uh, while they are living. We play cards together, play games, we get really competitive, uh, we laugh a lot uh, and uh, we try to bring a positive uh, environment and hope uh, uh, to the situation, although it's a very tough situation. And sometimes, some days it's very hard, you can't even like uh, comprehend what's going on and sometimes it's it's lovely and we are having a good time. Uh, sometimes we are celebrating birthdays in there. They are all young people, like in their 20s. You can see people losing the best years of their life. One of the guys there, um, uh, he's, it was, we are celebrating his 24th birthday. And uh, he, I, say, I told him, how old are you now? He said, I'm 20. He said, no, you are 24. He said, no, I don't count the last four years. In detention, mm. it's not counted in my life. Yeah, sometimes it's heavy when you see some of them like uh, actually get visas and get out uh, of detention after uh, so many years of being there, and we celebrate them as a community. And uh, um, it's really lovely. One of them actually, uh, he was uh, for nine years 
in detention and he was detained last year he had birthday big birthday in detention the week after they took him back to Christmas Island so he stayed there for a few months and then they took him to Younger Hill uh, another detention in uh, Perth and uh, and then someone uh, filmed a video of him uh, he, he talked about uh, how many times he tried to, to commit suicide and it was really tough a uh, couple of weeks later he gets his uh, visa so we were really surprised to see him back in Melbourne. So we threw him uh, like a dinner party. They gave me cake. They they invited me in. It was really lovely uh, to see this man out of detention for after nine years, uh, nine long years. Yeah. We have been listening to poet and storyteller Awali today. To hear the full interview, you can download the podcast from our website, 3cr.org.au slash refugee radio show. Yeah, this piece I called it, uh, Life is a Masterpiece. Uh, Life is a masterpiece, and pain is part of it. You cannot see the full picture until you live through it. Let me tell you a story of a little boy back in summer 1988. Once upon a time, there was a boy who lived with his family in a beautiful city in East Africa. He was full of laughter and joy. People treated each other with respect and dignity. Until one day, until one day, greed poisoned men's soul. War started. Rebels moved into the city and government retaliated with full force. And as always, innocent people pay the price. Moment one. Hide under the bed. Come on, hurry up. Rockets are flying. Bullets are getting louder and louder, said my auntie. You know, auntie, I've tried it once. Hiding under the bed. I don't get it. Why does it matter? If a rocket hits the room, we are doomed either way. So I run out of, the, out of the house in the front yard and as I look up the sky, I see a rocket passing by. I rip off my tiny t-shirt, beating on my little chest, screaming. I'm not scared. Come and hit me. I'm not hiding under the bed. I am not hiding under the bed. So that was moment one. There are other moments where I talk about uh, uh, other moments in the war. And uh, I finish up with... Uh, uh, with the lessons that I learned from these moments. So it's not just sharing or uh, like looking for sympathy from the audience or from the people who are listening. I'm just letting them know that in each uh, painful experience, there is a lesson to be learned and a story to be told, of re- a story of resilience to be told. And I learned that how to stand up in the face of death and say, well, if it is my time, I will not be hiding under the bed. I will be standing and uh, fighting uh, for my place in this world. Uh, and this is the mes- kind of message I would like actually to send to people. Although I've been through war, through uh, so many things, and but uh, this didn't teach me hate, didn't teach me... Uh, uh, instead, it uh, taught me to be more inclusive, uh, to love people, to love life, and wish well for others, and... Uh, uh, actually appreciate every uh, human and every uh, life being in th- on this planet uh, we are part on. So, uh, yeah, in any painful moment you could learn so many, it could make you a better version of yourself or it could destroy you. So it's the choice is yours. You have to choose uh, which path to take. And I choose uh, these stories or these experiences. Uh, I chose not to let me down instead to make me stronger and keep fighting and sharing my experience with others and uh, uh, 
maybe sometime someday making a difference some other people's life yeah well, thank you very much for coming along today uh, you are welcome thank you very much for having me here it is a pleasure yeah. The 3CR Radiothon is fast approaching. And this year, we're asking you to power Radical Radio. That's right. It's with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon 2019 June the 3rd to the 16th Power Radical Radio Welcome back to Refugee Radio Yes, Radiothon is coming soon We'll be in the studio Nagging you to donate money And we will call out all the names of the people Who have already donated um, so if you want to hear your name called out, yeah, that's, that's a fun true, thing to and it's, do a, as well. it's a growing list. People have already been uh, sending us money. Yes, thank so you good. to those people. And if you want to continue to send money, you can uh, donate and subscribe at any time at 3CR by calling nine four one nine eight day three double seven during business hours, or you can go to three crorgau slash donate You've been listening to Refugee Radio on 3CR. Please tune in next week, 10am on Sunday. And remember you can download our programs from the 3CR website at any time. Coming up next is Latin American Update. Uh, and to take us out, here's another poem from Awale, followed by uh, a song Trail of Tears by Rafif Ziadja. Thanks for being with us today. Home. All my life I was in a quest to find happiness, to be complete and content, to find home and stay there forever. I move from a place to another. I have few different homes. Which one is mine? Somalia, my motherland, Arabia, where I grew up, or here, where I live? I can't seem to belong fully. I will be a stranger all my life, everywhere I go, everywhere I land. Maybe I'll find home in the people that I love. Maybe home isn't a place. Maybe it's a person, or maybe it's something called love. Something tells me, find love and you'll find home. This call is not written for you, this call is not written for you, it's for the sun and the moon. This call is not written for you, it's for the sun and the moon, for the earth brown like us, for the earth brown like us, for the rivers, waters that know, that saw what you did. For the rivers, the waters that know, that saw what you did This call is not written for you, it's for the sun and moon For the earth brown like us, for the rivers, waters that know, that saw what you did Trail of tears, trail of tears from Baghdad to Tayandanega Trail of tears, we're still walking a trail of tears From Palestine to six nations, we're still walking a trail of tears We're still walking a trail of tears their gods promised them our lands, trail of tears. Bury their fears in our skin, trail of tears. Uprooting our olive groves, stealing our lands, trail of tears. Bury, bury their dead in our skin and build golf courts on our
our corpses, trail of tears, call death machines Apaches. They dare to call death machines Apaches and their cars Cherokee. And their cars Cherokee. Glaring like the sun, glaring like the sun are signs. We were here before you. Glaring like the sun are signs. We were here before you. Trail of tears.